You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is the highly anticipated and much-awaited uh, much installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. J.C. Sherbert at 24-7 Sports and TheBigSpur.com, who needless to say has been busy covering a lot of stuff on that uh, venue. And I am Mike Morgan of ESPN SEC Network. Let me, let me first address the uh, pink elephant in the room. We've had a lot of people that have been not upset, but uh, let's just say very anxious to hear our podcast this week. We've been doing two a week. Only going to be able to do this one this week, and that's my fault because I've had uh, TV duties, had a Mac game in Ohio on Tuesday night in uh, six-degree windshield. That was always fun. Uh, And then I'm currently in Starkville after doing a basketball game. Uh, last night at the hump. So uh, between that, between uh, JC covering uh, the drama that is in the uh, Palmetto State, uh, we've been able to uh, stay rather occupied. But here we are now. I'm glad you folks are upset. I'm glad you've been uh, clamoring for this. And we got a lot to talk about, JC. But we'll, we'll go into what happened last weekend. Obviously, the, the, the game of the year and one of the best games we've seen in a while, and one of the highest rated ones for that matter, with LSU knocking off Alabama and what that means not only for this playoff race, but really maybe the future with what Ed Orgeron has going on, Baton Rouge, uh, updated playoff talk, look ahead to some of the games this weekend. But as always this time of year, the the drama that unfolds with coaches getting fired uh, and coaches that are on the hot seat, it, it is, it's never boring. It, you know, it's just a different vibe. What happens in college football than say the NFL, the, the drama, the tsunami that sweeps over, uh, and and leaves quite a bit of destruction. Um, uh, it, it it is unique. College football coaching hot seats and firings are really unique. And of course, we've had two coaches fired in the middle of season two. We've already talked a whole lot about Florida State with Willie Taggart, and now you have Arkansas with Chad Morris. Uh, yeah, and look, I I, I think you know Arkansas is an unfortunate situation because. I think that you know you got you have to give Chad Morris time, considering you know he had to kind of rework that roster. 
uh, to fit his style of play. It's just a dramatic departure um, from what, you know, Brett Bielema did out there. And there wasn't a lot of talent to run that system. That said, Mike, you cannot lose at home to North Texas by 27. You cannot lose at home to San Jose State under any circumstances. You cannot lose at home to Western Kentucky, who had a quarterback that you ran off from Arkansas and uh, have a 5-4 and four Sunbelt team come and have a happy homecoming in Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium. Woo Pig Suey. They had to fire him. So I am, I am not one of these people uh, you know, I, that's, that was outraged about Morris not getting a lot of time. I do think he did not get enough time. But there are minimum standards even during a rebuild, and your minimum standards are, okay, yeah, you know, you saw the North, North Texas was really good last year. Um, you saw that, but then, you know, you kind of see some – the wheels come off with the San Jose State loss. C.J. O'Grady, one of their best players, quits. Um, there's, you know, quarterback controversies. You can't settle on one. It was just a big old mess. And so um, – I, I do. I think Chad Morris probably could have used more time and needed more time. Yes. Do I? Am I mad at the University of Arkansas for making the move? No. I think they had to, and um, that's just kind of where we're at. You know, you can survive a bad year early on in a rebuild or two, but you have to you have to show progress because fans need hope. And I use the term "in the abyss" a lot, Mike. Arkansas is now officially joined Rutgers in the abyss. They are in the abyss. I, I don't know who they can hire uh, to get them back to fourth in the West, <laughs> but they're bad. I mean, you know, Mississippi State's not a good football team this year. They go and wax Arkansas by 30 on their home field. The next week, Western Kentucky waxes them by 26. I mean – there's just no hope right now, and you're in the you're in the SEC West. On top of all that, the toughest division in football. So, I don't know who they can hire. I feel bad for Arkansas fans. I tweeted about it over the weekend. Uh, uh, I love most of the Arkansas fans I've interacted with. I know that you know one of the more popular presidents of the United States is a big Arkansas fan, and I feel bad for him too. Um, people love their hogs out there, and and so I my heart goes out to them, but. It's bad. You know, you want a, an example of a program in the abyss, you know, except with the, that's not Rutgers. You got to go to Fayetteville, Arkansas. Four and 18 uh, under Chad Morris. And look, under, unlike the Willie Taggart hire, which to me never made much sense at all, uh, I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say, I thought Chad Morris did make sense. So I, I never could have predicted that this was going to be this bad this soon. And, and you're right. It's not, just, it's not just the record. When you've got a team that's not competing, that's a problem. Um, and that's what you had in Tallahassee, and that's what you had in Fayetteville. And it's, it's, it's hard to know how and why it starts happening like this. And, and this is not me blaming the kids or whatever, but I think in order to have this type of absolute self-destruction you have to have some young men kind of quit on you i really do um oh yeah no question you know because if you're if you're arkansas and you're giving max if every guy every guy out there is giving maximum effort i don't care how bad the coaching and scheme is 
at, at some point you're going to do better than four and eighteen. You're not going to be losing by double digits to Group Five opponents. You're you're going to be putting together a better product on the field. Uh, but clearly, it just wasn't resonating, and and that is the day and age we are in now. There are situations where young men will just lay down. Um, you you see it more and more actually. It, it, now it takes a while to get there. It's not as if Chad Morris was even a controversial hire. Uh, I think everybody was like, "Who? Brett Bielema for whatever reason just wasn't a good fit." And this guy is the opposite of Brett Bielema in every way, in personality and scheme. Um, he had a good track record, but it, it didn't work. Look, I'm not going to put Arkers, uh, excuse me, Arkansas in the Rutgers category just because. Rutgers, I believe, is is doomed perpetually as long as they're in a conference like the Big Ten. Arkansas, like you mentioned, fourth in the Western Division. That doesn't sound like much, but fourth in the Western Division is still – you can have a really good year and finish fourth in the West. You can be a really consistently good program and and still be fourth in the West. They have all the resources. As you mentioned, great fan base. I'm out in Fayetteville every year. That state revolves around one program, much like Louisiana revolves around one program. So in that respect, it already makes it unique. But it, it is – they are geographically in a tough spot. And I just think some programs are geographically – there's a there's an expression people use in the, uh, in the dating world, J.C. Uh, some people say, you know, I, I like you, but you're G.U., and GU stands for geographically undesirable. Arkansas, while it's a beautiful area, uh, and had, like I said, there's a lot going forward. And you and I both have praised so much about that state, that program, and those fans. From an SEC standpoint, it might be a little bit GU in terms of a head coach being able to get the amount of high-caliber athletes to go there and, and be really competitive in the SCC West. Now, we know it can be done because we've seen it in glimpses, but I do believe it's one of the most difficult jobs in the Southeastern Conference. So from that standpoint, whether it's Mike Norvell, whether it's Gus Malzahn, whether it's whoever, um, they're going to have their work cut out for them. They're just going to have their work cut out for them. I think there are certain programs that have a ceiling. And I think Arkansas has a bit of a ceiling because right now you're looking at a situation where Alabama and LSU are equipped to be really, really dominating for a while. And then you are everybody is waiting for Texas A&M to explode. They might, they might not. And then Auburn is usually pretty doggone good, whether they like Gus Malzahn or not. So it, it's a difficult job. But, yeah, I'm not surprised they pulled the trigger. Because it, it clearly the, the wheels were off and it was it was just a it was just becoming more and more self destructive. Yeah, Arkansas has not won an SEC game at home, Mike, since two, November fifth of two thousand sixteen against the Florida Gators. Staggering. Um, yeah. They have not won an SEC game since twenty seventeen when they beat Ole Miss by a point. Both of those were during the Brett Bielema era. Chad Morris did not beat a single SEC opponent. Um, and then you start losing the Sun Belt teams and Conference USA teams. That's not uh, that's not a recipe for success. You know, I, I think yeah. I think if you're Arkansas, what, what you have to do. And I, when I, when they hired Brett Bielema, you know, and remember at the time they were coming off the Petrino era. They had the one bad year under John L. Smith. They hired Bielema, and people are worried 
I did a couple of uh, radio talk shows out there. I was a national recruiting analyst at the time, um, and uh, statewide radio, actually. Uh, and I was asked, you know, recruiting. You know, this guy, Bielema doesn't, re- you know, Wisconsin doesn't recruit well. And I said, well, you know, the, the plan to win the SEC at Arkansas is essentially the same plan to win the Big Ten in Wisconsin. You're not ever going to be ranked top ten in recruiting, most likely. Uh, you know, you you have you have to get the guys what guys you can get from out of your state, uh, and then you have to go. Quite frankly, you know, you can't just go into Texas and get guys. You got to go down to Florida and get guys. You know, your second and third tier players, um, and recruit speed and and all that. And you know, you have to have a good offensive line. And you know, you can build a similar ground and pound type of program at Arkansas from a talent standpoint. Now, where I was wrong with that is in the Big Ten West, you know, your floor is seven wins and your ceiling is 11 or 12 at Wisconsin doing that. In the SEC West, it's probably your floor is about four or five and your ceiling is about eight um, doing the Bielema plan. Uh, and then, of course, you, you have a massive restructuring and retooling uh, and the bottom falls out. So... You know, if I'm Arkansas and I cannot get Gus Malzahn to come back, which that's probably what they're going to try to do, um, they're going to try to go caged animal syndrome. I don't have a lot of faith that they'll be able to do it. But, you know, we're dealing with Auburn and Auburn's coach, so you never know what may happen. Um, if they don't get Gus Malzahn, I would encourage them to do one of two things. You know, either hire a spread guy like – you know, Seth Luttrell from North Texas or Mike Norvell from Memphis. Uh, or I would just bite the bullet and go hire Mike Leach because then at least you're entertaining for, you know, the next two or three years because you, you got to do something, you know. So that, that would be my recommendation uh, to uh, the University of Arkansas. I, I think Mike Leach is the, is the eye candy. Uh, I think Mike Norvell is the stable hire. Uh, I, I, they both would be good in their own different way. Mm, I, I will say this while, while here in the state of Mississippi, I, I spoke to, let's just say a, a high ranking administrator and he brought up an interesting point to me because the Gus Malzahn rumors are not going to completely go away, particularly if Auburn loses to Georgia this weekend and then Alabama at the end of the year, you know, the blank storm that's going to be back on the plains. It, it's, it's coming back at that point. Uh, it's, it's been put on hold until those games are played. But if, if, if Gus loses both those games, look out. And he pointed, and we were talking about buyouts and everything. And for those that get obsessed about buyouts, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But buyouts are negotiable. He said, Mike, don't always get caught up in the number on a buyout. He said, if Auburn really doesn't want Gus around, they could just start cutting that that dollar figure, whatever it is at Auburn, somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million, right, um, for Gus. In other words, those numbers aren't always set in stone. If, if, if Gus decides, I want to get the heck out of here, and Auburn decides, you know what, we're tired of going through this every other year, our fan base is convinced that he's not the guy, then they can go ahead and get together, the agents and, and the – AD and everybody else and start getting that number down. Just just one food for thought. I I don't know 
if I'm Gus, is this whole thing about Arkansas ties, Arkansas ties, what do I always talk about with coaching jobs? It's not just the money. It's not just the glitz and glamour of certain jobs. And it's certainly not just about, well, I'm from this state, so therefore it's my number one choice. It's path of least resistance. Coaches don't like being on the hot seat every couple of years. They don't like being fired every four or five years. They want a job that they look at and they say, whew, I think I can I think I can stay pretty stable over there. I'm not going to have to pack up my stuff and have my wife find new schools for the kids and everything else. That's what makes the Florida State job so attractive to a lot of folks, even though it has been left in a little bit of a mess under Coach Taggart. That's not the case at Arkansas. There's nothing that would be considered less of a path of least resistance than that job. Because you now have two coaches that were extremely hot commodities, and Brett Bielma and Chad Morris. I mean, neither one of these were a reach when they were hired by Arkansas, and they both have failed miserably. One more miserably than the other, but they both have failed. So I think a lot of people are looking at that job and saying, holy smokes, they're going to pay me, and I'm going to have a lot to work with in terms of facilities and fans and everything else. But how in the world am I going to turn this around? And if they can fire Chad Morris in less than two years, how the heck long am I going to last? I, I, that's that is something that every coach is going to look at. You know, there there are negatives to firing a coach really quickly. Now, Brett Bielema had plenty of time. Chad Morris obviously did not. But that, that's going to be a a very interesting situation that unfolds. Now, if you're Mike Norvell, you're not thinking about all that. You're thinking, I'm at Memphis. I've hit the ceiling at Memphis. This is an SEC job. If they offer, I'm taking it. Uh, I, I can't imagine he would turn it down. But if you're some of the other names that are being floated out there, I promise you they are looking into that greatly because coaches don't want to go to too big of a challenge where they could see the potentially as arrogant and egotistical and confident and cocky and every other adjective you want to use as most of the great ones are they also are smart enough to know that they too can be axed if if a job is just set up to fail and right now arkansas is a very difficult job whoever moves in there i i agree completely with you that's why you know like i said i would go you know if you can't get gus back you know, you'd probably, um, you know, you know, and I, I look, I, and I say that, and I'm not saying Gus Malzahn's coming back to Arkansas. I'm just saying, you know, I can't close the door on that for the reasons you stated. <laughs> you know, you just don't ever want to close the door. And, you know, I, I think that if, if you don't do that, you know, you got to go with somebody that's, you know, going to keep building towards being a spread offense and things of that nature. But it is. It's very, very difficult. And, yeah, you know, it's sad. You're talking about a program that's won three division titles in the SEC that uh, their athletic department, when they came into the league, really was highly competitive in football and basketball and baseball. And, um, you know, they're still good in baseball. And they got a new coach in basketball. I still think there's potential there. But, you know, football is finally – um, you know, as as all these moves have been made over the years and the rise of Alabama and uh, Auburn kind of trying to keep up with Bama uh, and having really good teams of their own. And then LSU, uh, you know, obviously became a monster under Nick Saban in the early 2000s, you know, and Les Miles isn't there anymore. And um, Ed Orgeron's figured it out. So uh, it's a tough – and then A&M came in the league. So it's a tough, tough deal. 
It is. Uh, in terms of going elsewhere, I mean, keep in mind, of course, the Southern Cal job is almost certainly going to become open here rather soon. Uh, in the SEC, I mean, there's the annual Derek Mason talk, but that doesn't necessarily move the needle either way. And then, you know, you've been front and center on what's going on in South Carolina, and I don't know how much time you want to dedicate to it because we've got less than an hour to get a whole lot of stuff in. But here's Will Muschamp in year four. The the first th- three years, if you were to take the aggregate total, I guess he had the best start of any coach there, yeah. uh, including yeah, – sorry? Yeah, he won more games. He, you know, yeah, he that's, was 20, that's what I meant. 22 yeah. and 17, Spurs 21 and 16, yeah. Okay, fair enough. So, you know, it, basically everything was looking good. Um, and we all know Steve Spurrier is as much good things as he did there. Uh, quit in the middle of a three-win season, and and the recruiting dropped off heavily. And everybody knew South Carolina, which has always been a very difficult job, especially since joining the SEC, became that much greater for whoever took over. You and I have talked about this uh, ad nauseum. What the market was, if you ask somebody who's mad about the hire, and then you ask them, well, who would you have gotten? And, and it's crickets. Um, but in this day and age, I guess you don't really have to think of it logically. You just if you make if you make up your mind that something has to be done and you want to go ahead and kind of have that tsunami and hope that when all the water washes away, it's, it's going to just leave a, an island of paradise, that, then that's what you want. And so there's talk there in year four, and I guess the App State loss, what, what a time, by the way, to have App State on the schedule, a year that they're in the top 25, but it, <laughs> it doesn't resonate that that might be a good team. It's still considered a bad loss at home. But but there's clear talk that there could be changes in Columbia. Your thoughts on that whole situation? I know you've been following it closely. Yeah, you know, look, I, I Will Muschamp, you know, I, I think that when you look at this year's South Carolina team, there's a lot that you can hang on coaching. You know, some years it's not like that. Some years, you know, people blame coaching because they're losing. But, you know, you kind of look at this this team, you know, they had 21 rushing yards against App State last week. The offense still isn't fixed. There's still a ton. There's still injuries. Um, and unfortunately for Will Muschamp, this is not like a four-year sample size at South Carolina, fair or unfair. You know, people look at what he did at Florida. So support is eroding uh, for an already unpopular hire. Um and the idea was, and, and and I thought it was a good hire, and I still think at the time it was probably one of the best hires you could make because he has gotten the roster back. He does have better players. Um, you know, whatever the situation is moving forward, the, the program from a personnel standpoint is on much sounder ground. But Will Muschamp still hadn't figured out, you know, his offensive coaches still or coordinators still haven't figured out how to call a game in the Southeastern Conference. And um, South Carolina has a new president. They have a very political, uh, a, a politically damaged board of trustees because of that particular search. Um, and it's kind of a mess in terms of everything. The athletic director, Ray Tanner, who does a really good job, is, you know, being scapegoated by certain folks. Will Muschamp does have a big buyout. Um, here's why, if I'm the Gamecocks, and this week against A&M and the next week against Clemson, that team gets boat raced and, and things hit rock bottom. And there's talk that Clemson fans, because the game was a little more competitive than they would want would have wanted last year and they need the style points. You know, there's talk that their fans are buying up tickets and going to try to have 40,000 in the stands at Williamsburg. I mean, that's, that type of stuff really kind of 
makes everybody associated with a program feel bad and can ramp up the pressure. And so the Gamecocks finished four and eight. Uh, and I did some research for this, Mike, you know, uh, and, and just kind of put it out there. There, there, there were there are several coaches. I looked at all the year fours recently at schools, okay? And I looked at the, the year fours of coaches that took over dumpster fires. Like Derek Mason, to me, should have been fired in his first year because he didn't take over a dumpster, dumpster fire, and he went winless in the SEC. <laughs> but, but you look at guys like Hugh Freeze, uh, who took over just a, a, a bottomed-out program at Ole Miss, went to the Sugar Bowl fourth year. Mark Stoops got Kentucky to a bowl game for the first time in his fourth year. Um, you know, Gus Malzahn took over a team that was 0-8 uh, in the SEC that had bottomed out under Chiswick. Uh, and in his fourth year, they were in the Sugar Bowl. And, of course, he had done much more after that. Um, Will Muschamp had a fourth year. He's the most recent Florida coach to make it to year four. Uh, went 6-5 and five and got fired. Um, but that still was an improvement over 4-8 and eight from the year a year ago. And I was just trying to find a case study recently of a guy that, you know, even Brett Bielema, I think, won eight games in year four. He got fired the next. Uh, of a year four where a guy took over a dumpster fire, you know, because that's the argument that some people say, well, he needs five years. Well, I'm trying to look at a, a similar situation where somebody just face plants his fourth year, which is what's supposed to be his best team, and I can't find it. You know, and, and most of the guys that – you know, maybe survived year four, got to year five and face planted like Butch Jones was nine and four in year four, took over a dumpster fire, four and eight his last year, fired. So not only, you know, do SEC programs even – and we're not talking Alabama and, and all these other schools. You know, we're talking Ole Miss and, and, and you know, Tennessee of late and uh, Arkansas or whoever else – Kentucky, you know, th- their coaches took over similar situations and had uh, good years in their fourth year. Um, and the minute they did not, you know, the minute it bottomed out after that year three, two or three mark, they were fired. And, and so that's the thing. I, I just think it's very difficult to continue recruiting momentum and to continue to have your fan base believe um, when you face plant like that, and even more so when you're an unpopular hire that, you know, didn't do so well at a division rival. And that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. I, 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 you, well, I mean, you nailed all the key points. And, um, of course, in the case of Hugh Freeze, I think we kind of know how that turned around <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it helps when you're buying players uh, and get your school on probation. Hotty toddy, uh, baby. Hotty toddy. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, no, I mean, your point is valid. Um, I, I certainly believe, and I'm not even a huge Jake Bentley guy, but if your senior quarterback who is going to become the school's all-time leading passer doesn't go out for the season with an injury in week one, that's that's worth a couple of wins. Doesn't mean it's going to be a great year by any stretch. Um, but I, I do think that that's a difference with a, a senior with all kinds of, of accolades who has got a chance of being on an NFL roster, which would be kind of ironic because the last time Will Muschamp had a highly touted quarterback that underachieved at a particular school, his name was Jeff Driscoll at Florida, who later transferred to La Tech and by the way, just started a game in the NFL last Sunday, um, but it makes a difference. Then you're starting a true freshman, and I think Ryan Holinsky's got a chance to be good. But he, he, at times, he just looks like a kid who's not ready. 
He's just not ready. The play calling, it's been more than suspect. Uh, and that's ultimately, as a head coach, particularly when you're known for the opposite side of the football, that hire you make on the side that's not your expertise is the one that can make or break you. He went through multiple offensive coordinators in Gainesville. Um, he's done so in Columbia, and I'm not sure if it's worked out real well. So I, I, I could certainly go either way. The, the, the talk about firing the AD, I mean, I just don't understand that. The ADs don't win and lose football games. Um, you know, John Cohen hired Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State, which right now is not working out real well. Maybe it doesn't work. I mean, you fire John, John Cohen if he doesn't – that's just – all these coach, all these ads go by the same guidelines. They hire search committees. They are all given the same group of names. Coaches, and let me say this clearly, for those that are uh, obsessed with with ads, coaches don't make moves and aren't attracted to certain jobs based on the athletic director in place. They make that move based on the job itself. I talked about the path of least resistance. I talked about everybody's got money now in the SEC, and most Power 5 schools have money. So rarely does a coach come to your school or not come to your school based purely on dollars and cents. Normally it is, okay, is this a job I feel comfortable in? Is this a job I can win in? Is this a job I'm not going to be on the hot seat in two or three years? You're putting way too much stock in your athletic director if you think he's the guy that moves the needle on what coaches are attracted to your job and what coaches are not. If you think you're going to bring in another AD and all of a sudden all these coaches that weren't interested in your job the first time, oh, well, now this guy is more charming and I have a, uh, I feel more of a sense of whatever with him, you're going to be gravely disappointed because it just doesn't work yeah. that way. Uh, yeah, That's I, all. yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So, all right, moving on out of the the coaching talk, there were some big football games that were played last weekend, and that leads us to the college football play. First off, I got to say, that is one of the best two-game, one-two punches that I've seen in a while. And college football desperately needed this last Saturday. Okay, we've we've talked about it. A lot of it at the top has become stale and predictable. We haven't had the – ordinate amount of major upsets and we keep talking about the same schools competing for the same four playoff spots minnesota beating penn state with pj fleck if you watch that game by the way and if you look at penn state's athletes versus minnesota's athletes there is no question there's a huge difference i mean jc you know it from a recruiting standpoint i can just tell with my eye test that there is one team that is much bigger faster stronger than the other and yet the fighting flexters pulled it off Golfers, golfers, yeah. I mean, and look, Minnesota. I mean, and, and that, that's what people talk about sometimes about recruiting. And, and there are teams that are bigger, faster, stronger. But you still have to play the game. You can do all the advanced metrics and all the stuff that you want. Look at the, you know, you know the the stats and, and all that kind of stuff. But you still got to play the game. And, and so, where a program like Minnesota can, can go out and beat a Penn State and, and, and be 9-0 and right now and ranked 8th in the country is they're not necessarily recruiting the same guys, Penn State guys, but they've got enough guys to where they can get close. It's close. You know, it's like, yeah, they don't look quite the same, but, you know, you know this guy may be six foot two eighty five, but he's cat quick and he's great in the weight room and he's stronger than an ox, and if you don't compete against him every play, he's going to beat you. And um, that, that's what's great about football, quite frankly. And so, 
you know, I, I thought, you know, Penn State, I didn't think Penn State played poorly. I, I, I thought that Minnesota just lined up and they found a way to win the football game. Very exciting football game. Gophers have to go to Iowa or play Iowa next, and that's kind of a rivalry, so they got to get up again this week. But um, it was just a heck of a game, heck of an atmosphere. And and, and you, you hit the nail on the head, Mike. Just good to see a big game at a stadium you don't normally see on TV. Mm-hmm. Very know? refreshing. Yeah, so I thought that was awesome. LSU, Bama. Uh, if uh, if this were not a family friendly podcast, I would play Ed Orgeron's post game locker room speech <laughs> because I thought I didn't was, go, ahead and go get a ham sandwich. Yeah, yeah, I'll go to a ham sandwich with some chips, and I sat on the couch and watch Sports Center. Uh, oh, roll time! What? I mean, he was fired up. But um, and, and look, I, I would I would never drop an f bomb to Alabama because I don't. I mean, that's no disrespect to Alabama, but it, it's. It's good to see a guy that's been through a lot, um, you know, have some success finally, and, and, and he's figured it out. And, you know, we talked about Will Muschamp a little while. Will Muschamp can learn a lot from Ed Orgeron um, because Ed Orgeron finally was like, look, the issue around here is we're not scoring points and playing well on offense. So he went and married a grizzled veteran Steve Insminger to a, uh, a hot shot, young Sean McVay disciple offensive mind from the NFL and Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, a quarterback, he found a quarterback and now they're rolling, man. I mean, they're good. They beat Alabama. I mean, they didn't, it wasn't a fluke. Bama came back, but they beat them. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, uh, I think LSU and Ohio state clearly are the two best teams in the country with LSU a deserving number one. Well, yeah, and to your point on what Will Muschamp could learn, Will Muschamp could use a Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow might be the number one pick in the NFL draft when this is all said and done. That that that's not just a great college quarterback you saw on Saturday. That 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 dude's an NFL quarterback, mm-hmm. um, and he is. What he did in that game, first of all, as a Heisman voter, I can't say. I'm going to sit here and write my vote right now because I never do. I wait till the day after the conference championship games. Uh, but it's almost it's almost a lock that he is going to win the award. He won it that day for sure. Now, does he have great receivers around him? Sure. Uh, good running back? Yes. Solid offensive line, almost always at LSU. But that kid, poise, under pressure, athletic, extremely accurate. I mean, he's going to break records for accuracy in college football. He's going to do so defeating four top 10 teams in the process. Yeah. And that's the difference between him from last year and this year, Mike, is that last year's first year at LSU, I remember he, he, he was really good under pressure and things like that. They go and beat Auburn, you know, on a day where he completed, I think 40% of his passes. Um, but this year, the accuracy's there and the comfort level in the system's there. And it's, 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 it's almost been, you know, night and day better. Um, and I agree, he's, a, he's the leading contender for the Heisman Trophy. It, it's uncanny. And I, I said, I prefaced this all with Saturday was a great day for college football. I had no rooting interest in the game. I'm not an Alabama hater. I think uh, a dynasty is good in college football. But I don't think the same four or five teams in the playoff every year is good for college football. LSU is going to be one of those teams, and that is good for college football. LSU, excuse me, being a power again in college football is good. Now, look, you were much higher on the Ed Orgeron higher than I was. Uh, I've talked to people at Ole Miss 
who still rave about how incompetent he was in Oxford. It was a disaster. Uh, I don't think he's this X's and O's genius. He still looked, I still think of him as a strength coach with a whistle and a, and a booming, enticing voice. Uh, who's lovable in his own way, but I I don't see Ed Orgeron necessarily out scheming people during the week. But this was the job for him, and, and it is a perfect fit in every way, shape, and form. And LSU, one of those volcano programs, you're not going to keep them down for long. And if you surround him with the right coordinators and the right quarterback, both of which LSU has been lacking for much of their years where they couldn't beat Alabama – now all of a sudden it's the perfect marriage. Doesn't mean Ed Orgeron, if you put him at one of I – mean, put Ed Orgeron at Arkansas. You know what? He might be fired in three years. This is what I keep going back to. Uh, Ed Orgeron – they didn't want Ed Orgeron. Remember, they were all in on who? Tom Herman. Mm-hmm. And then they were all in on who? Jimbo Fisher. So it, 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 sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. ADs, for the most part, when it comes to coaching hires, are all running the same playbook. And, of course, the guy that hired him is no longer even there. It's just like the guy that hired Dabo Sweeney is no longer at Clemson. And a lot of people wanted Dabo Sweeney gone because that was a questionable hire. And he loses to South Carolina five years in a row and somehow keeps his job. It's crazy sometimes how all these things work out. But it's not going to change anytime soon. I don't want to go so far. I heard a lot of people saying this is a changing of the guard. LSU is now the preeminent program in the West, and Alabama, Nick Saban is not getting any younger. But nah, I'm not there. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not there yet. But, but, we, but we have a 1A and 1B, if nothing else. Yeah, and look, LSU should be one. They should be 1A and 1B. I mean, that's, uh, that's the bottom line. I mean, that you know, LSU kind of got stale, especially on offense under Les Miles. And, um, you know, I. Ed Orgeron, you know, what he's done is he's kind of done what Dabo did. You know, he's making the right moves in terms of his assistant coaches and letting his assistant coaches coach. Um, Dave, you know, Dave Aranda is their defensive coordinator at LSU. And Mm -hmm. teams are scoring points against the Tigers' defense a lot more this year because a lot of it's because of the offense they run and they they go up and down the field so fast. Their defense is on the field a lot. But um, it's – you know, that's a heck of – Dave Aranda's one of the best defensive coordinators in football. And so I – hats off. Hats off to Coach O. But you're right. Put Coach O at Arkansas right now. He's not like a master of the turnaround. And a lot of the time it's where you're at. You know, we've said many times, Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, Jeremy Pruitt, shake him up in a box and, mm-hmm. you know, put him at Tennessee, South Carolina, and Georgia. And, and the, the results are probably similar. Yes. Um you know, Kirby Smart. It's a, you know, it's a lot of the times it is where you're at, and you know the good coaches, the coaches that really catch my eye are the guys like a PJ Fleck, who can go make something of nothing and and raise the level of a program, or a guy like a Matt Rule who's Temple and Baylor man. You know, yeah, um, yeah, and Baylor was in the in the abyss. Um, and it's not just the latest assistant from a coaching tree or whoever. You know, like when Rutgers hired Chris Ash, nothing against Chris Ash, but, you know, you're just hiring this guy because he worked for Urban Meyer. I mean, you know, go hire the guy for, that's at the worst program in the MAC that won five games last year. 
you know, that right. kind of thing. So, well, well, since I beat myself up on the two misses that I had with Chad Morris and Ed Orgeron, I am going to pat myself on the back on one. I've been telling you for years, PJ Fleck is a difference maker. I've made the analogy he is a Bruce Pearl type hire. Yes, that his his charisma and what he brings to the table. There's nothing cookie cutter about it. And if you're in a complete rebuild, that is your guy. And there's a lot of programs that had their chance to get him out of Western Michigan uh, when he was out there. And they just said, nah, he's a Mac guy. <laughs> yeah, but he won the Mac with it. Nah, it's, it's not a big enough hire, not a splashy hire. So we're not going to, we're, we're, we're going to pass. And now they're all saying, God, Lee, why didn't we? And of course, Minnesota. Like I told you, don't think that Minnesota doesn't have money. They're a Big Ten school with a ridiculous TV contract. And if he's comfortable there and his family loves it there, Minnesota will match what 99% of the schools in college football are going to offer. And so I'm not convinced he's leaving anytime soon. I'm not either. I I think – well, I'll say this. I I think that, you know, if you're a guy like that – I mean, like he is what the University of Southern California needs. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know they're going to, I know they've got caged animal syndrome right now and they're going to go try to hire Urban Meyer. But if you can't hire Urban Meyer and you can't hire a, a, a James Franklin or, and, you know, and James Franklin is charismatic in and of himself. I mean, I, 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 James Franklin won at Vanderbilt. Okay. Nine games, two years in a row. Um, don't care how down the East was. That was still impressive. Um, you know, that's the PJ flex, that type of guy. Southern Cal that could really do some big things. Um, but I don't know if they'll go in that direction. I, I don't know, you know, would he, would he, t- you know, an Arkansas type job? I don't, I don't, I wouldn't go to Minnesota for Minnesota right now to Arkansas just because you're in a much better spot. <laughs> um, Arkansas is a much harder deal. Um, and, you know, I, I do think eventually there'll probably be a school that will pluck him, but. You keep it rolling at Minnesota, then the next time Ohio State opens or the next time Michigan opens or the next time, you know, what if you have an opening at Michigan State or Penn State um, or Notre Dame? You know, you're going to be in line for one of those big Midwest jobs or, you know, you'll probably be in line for some SEC jobs as well, you know, if you just kind of stay pat. So I I don't think he's going anywhere, Mike, barring like Southern Cal going, hey, come on, we mm-hmm. can, you know, we'd like to have you going. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. If I, if I put you on the spot right now, Bob Stoops to Florida State, yay or nay? Mm, you know, based on an interview I read with him just now, I'm leaning towards yay. I, I'm putting it at 51%. Just because okay. he was, whereas he normally, and, and watch, watch him release a statement in the next hour by the time we get this up, and he goes, <laughs> he goes uh, you know, I'm not going to Florida State, but um, – I just his most recent comments to I think a TV station in Dallas were very very. Who knows what the good Lord has in right. store for Saw me? That. And I, you know, and then you hear some people some chatter on the FSU end that you know it, it's it's almost done, and you know he, he even though he you know denied candidacy at the beginning or whatever he. You know, he's been the guy they've sort of targeted. And, and quite frankly, I think that if you're Florida State and you go hire Bob Stoops, hire him. I, I think Bob Stoops – will Bob Stoops win a national championship at FSU? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, will Bob Stoops get FSU out of the the wilderness that they're in right now? Yes, he will. You know, he, he definitely will do that. So I, I think that um, 
that's the thing. I think Bob Stoops, one thing he does do a good job of, he'll hire a good staff that can go recruit and, and sort of, um, you know, help continue to restock that roster. He'll have dynamic coordinators on both sides of the ball. Um, if he doesn't, you know, defense, maybe not, but he's a defensive guy. So we'll see. But, uh, and I think that's, that's, the, that's, that's a good hire. Uh, if you're FSU, I think at this point, you know, you don't want to roll the dice. And there are not many guys out there that have won national championships that you can hire. And Bob Stoops is one of them. So um, if it happens, I'll be happy for my Noel friends and happy that Bobby Stoops is back in the game. Uh, it, I think, yeah, I think Florida State fans will be happy because, again, they're not getting Urban Meyer. Um, it's the closest thing to a quote-unquote splash. I will say this. Sometimes history kind of gets altered over time. Bob Stoops did win one national title early on in his tenure at Oklahoma. You can't write the book of Bob Stoops at Oklahoma without including several chapters of disappointing, really unfathomable losses. Mm -hmm. I I made a point years ago on Atlanta radio when he was still there, and I can't remember which team they lost to at that point, but – Remember when everybody used to use the term Clemsoning, losing an inexplicable loss every year under Dabo? And that actually went, I guess you could say, back to Tommy Bowden. Mm-hmm. I, I, I said that the term should be changed to Stoopsing because Bob Stoops, there was a, I mean, Oklahoma could have been playing for three or four national titles had it not been for some really disappointing losses. Uh, and you only have to get up for so many games in the Big 12 these days if you're Oklahoma and one of the power uh, schools in that conference. So I, I wouldn't say that Bob Stoops' tenure at Oklahoma was outstanding. I think it was very good, considering what he took it over from. Um, and now it's kind of still where where it was uh, when he was there under Lincoln Riley. But um, for Florida State, if you want a big name, that's probably the best one on the board. If he turns it down... Uh, then things get very interesting. Now you got to really start sweating a little bit if you're in that boardroom because what hire is, is going to get everybody excited in, uh, in Tallahassee? That'll be interesting to say the least. All right, um, I'll just go over quickly because this is not as significant. I mean, we could sit here and talk an hour about it and make a TV show out of it, but let's, let's be <laughs> honest. The, the, the playoff top 25, LSU won, not surprising. Ohio State, Clemson, and then everybody gets bent out of shape over number four, Georgia over Alabama. It, it, look, if Georgia wins out, they're in the playoff. If they lose one more game, they're out of the playoff, and that opens the door for Alabama to potentially get in. You've got Oklahoma-Baylor, huge game. One of those teams has to win out for the Big 12 to have a chance. Otherwise, I think the Big 12 is going to be shut out. So it, it, not a whole lot has changed other than Bama now needs perhaps a little bit of help. And Georgia already controlled its own destiny, so that hasn't changed. So I, I, do I think Georgia's better than Alabama? No. But it's not worth getting bent out of shape over, so I'm not going to. What if Auburn beats Georgia and Alabama both? <laughs> uh, well, Gus Malzahn stays. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to worry about him going to Arkansas. You don't have to, do we? You don't have to worry about him I, going to Arkansas or getting just, fired or buyouts. Just, or I don't look. Looking at Auburn's defensive line and when their offense is going, and those games are both at Jordan Hare. I I don't know that Bama or Georgia is significantly better than Auburn. Just to be honest with you, I, I think Auburn wins the game. Yeah, this I, weekend. I, I do too. I mean, I think you know, I think they had one game where you look at it and you go. 
Ah, this was a dumpster fire, and that was at Florida. And if you look at kind of the history, those of you that like coordinator matchups, Gus Malzahn v. Todd Grantham, Todd Grantham's gotten the best of that matchup a lot in recent years. Um, and so it didn't, but it was still a fumbling, stumbling, bad game by Auburn. And they played LSU toe-to-toe. Um, and now they're at home. They had to go to Florida and to LSU. Now they're back at Jordan-Hare. Um, so we may not even need to worry about a second SEC team. But, yeah, I think uh, – you know, the rank would I have ranked Georgia over Bama? No, because I think Bama's loss looks a lot better than Georgia's loss, quite frankly. Um, but it is what it is, and it's not going to matter, you know, because Georgia's not – I mean, Georgia can be number one or number two and play in the SEC championship game against LSU and lose, and they're not going to the playoffs. So, you know, I don't, I don't think it matters. What is intriguing to me, Mike, is Oregon and Utah are now in position. Remember, we were, we were talking like a month ago. We're like, it's just going to be a, lo- a lot will have to happen for Oregon or Utah to get in. Or for we weren't even talking about Utah. We were talking about Oregon. I think we wrote Utah off after they lost to Southern Cal. But, man, here they are. And, and you can see a path where the Pac-12 returns to the playoff, Mike. Mm-hmm. It's well, possible. They'll promptly get slaughtered by one of the top three teams, but I think I think I think, I think they could get back, you know. Well, uh, all right, let's take Alabama out of the equation because that's always the uh, that that's the tough one to, to knock off in a beauty contest with a committee that knows um, how good Alabama is. Mm-hmm. And of course, Joel Klatt will tell you the whole system is is biased and uh, SEC. Uh, you know, biased, whatever. And by the way, the, the system has been unscientific in the history of college football. I hate to break it to some of those that insist on doing a commentary on how this is not, um, you know, 100% objective. College football has never determined a national champion based on 100% objective data. Never. never, never, ever, never, ever. So I don't know where you've been. If that's if that's your number one point in a commentary, um, did, did you follow the BCS? Did you follow the Bowl Alliance? Did you follow the Bowl Coalition? Did you follow the early 1900s? where you just it was just so random and one magazine would say this team's number one and then yeah. another that would say uh, this just in it's always been like that and this is the best system we've ever had i don't think it's perfect but it's better than what we've had before and that's all i have to say about that uh yeah hey look i mean you know you used to have like in the 20s you had a guy you know a guy named scoop mcdonald and this is scoop mcdonald from sport life magazine and i think the illinois fighting illini are the number one team in the land this year what do you think about that ronnie well i'm ronnie from sporting news and i i I believe that princeton has the best football team in all of the land well right and that's how they used to determine it that's how they used to do it in that same exact voice that's how they determined who won the title now look i I, college football is about perception Uh, more than any other sport, maybe the, like gymnastics or something where you, you have judges and you have to be pretty and like pretty in your motion or skating or something like that. You know, there's no sport like college football where they're, you know, it, it's based on the opinions of people, not only for how we determine who plays for the championship, Mike, but for, for how you get players, you know, that's mm-hmm. how you get players. You know, you're like, well, you know, you've got to have the perception that you're, you know, the place to be or whatever. There's no draft. Um, and I know you recruit in other college sports as well, but, you know, you add that element to football along with how you determine a champion. And 
perception matters in college football more than any other sport. And Alabama's earned that perception by winning a half a dozen national titles here of late. And, uh, oh, by the way, they didn't get boat raced against LSU. They lost by a touchdown with a quarterback on a gimpy ankles. I mean, I'm not here to be the Alabama defense team. I hate even uh, going that route because I I won't feel sorry for Alabama if they don't get in, believe me. In a lot of ways, it, it, it would coincide with my argument that we do need some fresh blood in this playoff. As long as it's four teams, we all know it's going to be eight eventually. But for now, in the foreseeable uh, five, six years of this contract, it's probably going to remain four. And if that's the case, uh, I wouldn't mind seeing some fresh blood in there. But but Alabama doesn't have to take a back seat. So that's why I say if you take Alabama out of the equation and it's a one-loss Big 12 champ, which would be Oklahoma, and a one-loss Pac-12 champ, let's just say Oregon, and you had to pick one of those two. Again, I put you on the proverbial spot. Who do you take? I'm going to take the team with the best loss. And uh, I think it has to, it has to be Oregon. Because at that point, Oregon will have won, what, 12 games in a row? Plus a Pac-12 championship mm-hmm. uh, against a potential. See, they'll have a top 10 quality win as long as Utah keeps winning. Because they'll play Utah. You know, and so it'll be... Utah and Oregon, and uh, so they'll have that quality win. Uh, and so then you go to losses, and Oklahoma lost to uh, K State. And I watched some of Iowa State Oklahoma this weekend, Mike, and Iowa State almost knocked them off again. Mm-hmm. And, and and Iowa State plays them tough traditionally, but you know, so the eyeball test there is a little little shaky for Oklahoma uh, if they mm-hmm. win the Big Twelve. And you know, now look. You want to talk about an undefeated Baylor team versus a one-loss Oregon Pac-12 champion? I don't know. That that kind of blows my mind a little bit. But um, I, I, I or Minnesota from the big, you know, those two teams. I think if those two teams go undefeated, they deserve to be in. Will they be in? I don't know. Because you're, you know, you got people now talking about how an undefeated Clemson team is not going to get in. Um, and I don't, I don't see that happening. That's not happening. That's I, those people need to need to get corrected because if if Clemson goes 13 and 0 as a defending champion with a loaded roster they're they're getting back in. Yeah. Get, I mean can, let's put that to bed. Yeah, they can't help who they play, you know, every, and and you know schedules are made so far in advance anyway. I don't know how you can sit there and go, "Oh, well, you need to schedule better teams." Well, this 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 schedule was made 10 years ago. You know, right. <laughs> I mean, so I don't, and, you know, and they've they've showed a penchant for scheduling difficult out of conference opponents. They've got a bunch of them on the roster in the future, whether it's Georgia, Auburn, et cetera. And Texas A&M, when they played Texas A&M, people thought that was going to be a huge game and a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. People were convinced year two at Jimbo Fisher was going to yield 10 type uh, 10 win season. And obviously, they're going to be well short of the mark. They've got South Carolina this weekend. We'll get to the SEC slate in a moment. But again, we mentioned the top national games uh, in, in the Big 12, a big matchup that's going to determine a lot. And of course, uh, in a lot of ways, the game of the week does hail from the SEC in Georgia-Auburn. Georgia uh, coming in 5-1 and one in the SEC, Auburn 4-2 and two in the SEC. Georgia's a three-point favorite in that game. Like I said, I, I actually... I think Auburn, I think that line is upside down. I would actually make Auburn a slight favorite at home in that game, but we shall see. Alabama's at Mississippi State. Florida's at Missouri. Remember when Missouri was supposed to have a really good year? Mm. Well, that hasn't exactly panned out. Kentucky is at Vanderbilt. 
LSU at Ole Miss and South Carolina at Texas A&M. So clearly one game in that slate uh, stands very tall above the others. Most of the others are either really lopsided or uh, containing two teams that are not playing for a whole lot. Yeah, I, I, I think Florida and Missouri is interesting just because Missouri's owned them. The last two years, Florida, Missouri's not only beaten Florida, Mike, they've beaten them like a drum. I mean, they beat them 38-17 in the swamp last year. The year before, 45-16. to um, You know, Florida's probably sick of losing to Missouri. Now, Missouri does get Kelly Bryant back. Uh, it's a CBS game. I think uh, it's a, one of their doubleheader weekends. And so that'll be interesting um, to see. So that game, you know, kind of has my attention. Um, I don't think Alabama's going to have any sort of hangover when they take that drive down that state road where you lose cell phone service <laughs> to Starkville. Um, <laughs> people don't understand that's a, that's close. You Tuscaloosa to start, it's right there. I mean, it's it's not a bad drive at all. LSU at Ole Miss, it, it would be the, the the most the worst thing ever. If LSU lost that game, if you're LSU and Ed Orgeron going up to Ole Miss and losing that, 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 that would be bad. But I, I think LSU will keep rolling. And then South Carolina, Texas A&M, you know, South Carolina has been up and down some this year. I don't know that Texas a and is all that good. Texas a and is an 11 point favorite. This, this game has been, it's usually A&M usually win. They, they always win. They, they they're five and O, but sometimes it's close. So it wouldn't surprise me amidst all the turmoil in Columbia this week to see the Gamecocks go out there and, and play them close, kind of, you know, and the Aggies to kind of muddle around. Because A&M's got Georgia and LSU mm. after the Gamecocks. So, you know, there's some exciting times in Aggie land. You know, you win the beat the Gamecocks, and then you win those two and finish 9-3 and three and ruin LSU and Georgia's seasons. <laughs> and then all of a sudden people are talking about the $75 million man again, you know. Yeah. Or they could finish seven and five, which might be more realistic. <laughs> and yeah. It's okay. Uh, we're giving you a pass this year, but we want we want more of a return on that seventy five mil next year. Yeah, definitely. It's like ah, you know, that's uh, that's all right. But I thought A and M because of their schedule, Mike would. I thought the top ten rankings and stuff at the beginning of the year were a little premature. I don't think people yeah. did their homework and saw just how tough the schedule was. Um, and I think there, were, there was a lot of assumptions about LSU and Auburn that maybe weren't – maybe they were downgrading those two teams a little bit. I think somebody picked LSU fifth in the Ooh. West. <laughs> you know? Oh, uh, because fifth, fifth in the West, Joe Burrow, husband. Um, give, that, give that man a, a sloppy ham sandwich. You're not getting a good one. <laughs> Some potato chips. I love that. But um, – Where's my Hummer? You know, I, th- I, I think A&M's year actually – when you look at kind of their opening is probably next season uh, under Jimbo Fisher. Cause if I'm not mistaken, Kellen Mond is not a senior, he's a junior. And um, mm-hmm. if he returns, you'll have him as a senior. Uh, you'll get your running back back. You'll have a couple of recruiting classes to mature. You know, you, you've got Alabama losing Tua. you've got LSU losing Joe Burrow. I'm kidding, Joe Burrow. <laughs> I'm just talking like Ed Orgeron, not Joe Burrow. But um, I uh, I think that's their opening, and I think it always has been. So I, I thought that that was one of the things yeah. that uh, in the preseason kind of, you know, uh, got to me a little bit is I thought people were vastly overrating Texas A&M just because uh, I think they're a year away. 
Any other stories before we sign off that you're keeping an eye on here? Obviously, the coaching carousel is going to continue to be a hot topic. Um, by the way, the suspension is over in Columbus for the top defensive player in the country. So if you were ready to start um, you know, selling your stock on Ohio State, don't do it just yet. And I think that's about it. There's not a whole lot of huge news coming out as of this point. No. And, and and this weekend, I mean, it's one of those weekends that like we mentioned the bigger games, but this is a time of year that very often there's some sleepy games that nobody's paying much attention to and you get some stunners. So maybe we'll see a little bit of that this weekend as well. Yeah, I, I think Navy Notre Dame may fall into that category. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, w- w- I'll tell you this, Wake Forest, don't, don't be surprised if – you know, they make some things happen. It's at Clemson, so it's going to be difficult. Clemson beat them 63-3 to last year. But um, don't be surprised if Wake make watch Wake's offense. It's a thing of beauty. It's kind of a, a new uh, kind of interpretation of the spread and the inside zone and the, the mesh point kind of moves. It's If you're X's and O's guys, check out Warren Ruggiero's Wake Forest offense. Michigan State at Michigan. Um be interesting. <laughs> Michigan State's struggling again. They don't. They don't have much of an offense. That's a guy that needs. They're, they're just awful on offense. Yeah, yeah, it is. And look, D'Antonio's done a lot of good things there. So I, I, I don't. I don't subscribe to hot seat talk for D'Antonio at Michigan State. But it is. It is surprising to see how bad it's been this year. Yeah, he just needs to. He needs to come up. You know, change his offense up, and and, and they'll be fine. But you know, they tend to play Michigan pretty tough, and. Uh, how about Indiana at seven and two going to Penn State? That's a it's a big game for in the in yeah. the in the Big Ten East. Uh, Indiana could it? could pass the Nittany Lions, my man. The Hoosiers. <laughs> there you go. Uh, be, I, I, uh, it's a great story, regardless. I laugh, but I, I'm not laughing at Indiana. I've shout out to Tom Allen and Indiana football. That's, that's a tough place to win in football, and you're seven and two, and you're in the toughest division in college football. So, congrats. No question. All right, JC, for those that haven't already subscribed to this podcast, tell the folks how they can do it. Uh, all right, we're on Spotify. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We have a page on 24-7 Sports um, where you can subscribe th- using things like the Stitcher app. It's all free. You get a notification every time there's a JC and Morgan, uh, so that'll be good. One more shout-out, Lovey Smith, Fighting Illini, one game for bowl eligibility, Mike. Uh, almost a month. The team that after, lost to Eastern Michigan at the beginning of the year yeah. is now fighting for bowl eligibility. Erased a twenty-eight to three deficit at Michigan State and came back and won. Um, look, you know How about that, and that's one. It's almost one month to the day after I called them one of the worst teams I've ever seen in my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> what do I know? Why are you listening? Don't listen to me, folks. Don't listen to me. So. Uh, well, you've been right more than you've been wrong. We, uh, and uh, we've been right to uh, give you folks two of these normally a week. You guys have appreciated that. Sorry we've only been able to do one this week. Uh, blame me. I will uh, take the uh, bows and arrows on that one. But we'll be back with two next week and plenty more to talk about. As it's such an exciting time in college football. It's not just the games anymore. It's, it's the drama that surrounds a lot of different programs out there, and that makes it fun as well. Enjoy your weekend, folks. We'll talk to you next week. For JC, it's Mike. So long.